How long does it take to tackle a home project? With Angie, you could cross it off your list before this ad is over. Just tell us what you need, indoor or outdoor, repair or redesign, and they handle the rest, sending a top pro to get it done. You don't have to lift a finger. Well, maybe except to tap the screen or click the mouse. Plus, Angie is free to use. So bring them your next home product and they will bring it home. Download the app or go to Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com to get started. Why wait any longer for a change of scene? Why wait one more week for a world-class cocktail in a rooftop hot tub? Why wait another day for Art Deco elegance and live jazz? For a spa resort with a therapy menu as long as your arm. For dinner at a Michelin Guide recommended restaurant. Why put your next short break on the long finger when it's just a small step to a giant adventure in Northern Ireland? And you can book it now at discovernorthernireland.com. Travel advice and guidelines apply. Visit nidirect.gov.uk and check ahead with providers. You are now tuned in to Hollywood Ways with Doug and Breezy. Oh, hey Ted. I know that you like the lies, know you like the way it shines. There's no other place you'd rather be. This is how we do it in Hollywood. Hollywood this is how we do it in Hollywood. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Ways. Hollywood Ways. I'm Doug Allen. Greasy. Ted Foxman in the booth. Back Ted. at it. I want to tell you about my week a little bit because it was crazy because, you know what, this week it was like my three-year anniversary with my girlfriend and her birthday. It's like, I, I mean, the a cluster, sh- a cluster of, of coming up with gift ideas and, and entertaining. It's just, I'm, I'm getting old. It's not easy. How like, far apart was the anniversary of like her birthday? like four days. And, well, yeah, that's, yeah. And, and let me tell you something. I don't know. The world, I know right now people are saying like money is tight for people and this and that, but I wanted to get her something nice. I wanted to get her a nice Chanel bag. But I go and I'm like, I've made the decision. I know the exact bag. And I get to the Chanel store and I'm like, hey. And they're like, do you have an appointment? I'm like, an appointment? I'm like, why do I need an appointment? They're like, you need an appointment. I'm like, I'm like, but I know what my bag is. Can I just give you the card and you just wrap it up? They're like, no. Okay. So then I try to call from the car. You can't even call to make an appointment. You got to get online. And then I get to two days later now, it's been the stress of getting this item. I go to the uh, Neiman Marcus instead of the Chanel store because I'm, I'm mad at the Chanel store. Like they give a shit, like they care at all. And I'm like angry with them. I go to Neiman Marcus and I'm the first guy and I get on the line there. And all of a sudden, like the new line just came out. So there's like a horde of Beverly Hills women that are coming. And they honestly were ready to stomp all over me to get to this stuff. But I made my way in and I got this bag and my girl was just thrilled. So, um, every girl is thrilled to get a Chanel bag, but to the defense of Chanel and all of these high end stores are doing appointments when these, uh, these scams of the PPP loans and all this stuff hit, these stores got hit hard. So now, I mean, even Cartier, you need an appointment. There's one salesperson per human human. Exactly. They, they have to keep a close monitor. These people were coming to Rodeo. They were stealing stuff, running out with things. This is why, Breezy is so awesome because I've been angry for four days that Chanel doesn't want to take my money, and now you've given me a very uh, smart, thoughtful I mean, honestly, reason. When there was so much access, and you know, there were some people coming from different areas that had money that they didn't have before, it made places like Beverly Hills a little scary, a little sketchy. Like me and Chris went there one day, and there was so many people. I'm talking about pants sagging. It just looked like there was a there wasn't a gun far, and I said, you know what? 
next time. Like I'm just I'm not walking down Rodeo with it's flooded with people and it's never like that. No, it's it, never like that, and nothing's on sale on Rodeo. Believe that. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. So oh, I got it, and, and and I know that My credit card bounced for this bag. But Chanel, Chanel, along with a number of other stores, actually had signs up that said, you know, this form of payment is not welcome here. You know, because it was bringing just the wrong vibe to the to the to the vibe. God, what an so incredible we're, explanation. It was not personal. All right, well, we got some good stuff today because senior producer Ted Foxman has brought in Chef Michael Firioli from one of my favorite restaurants, Ted Olivetta. Ted is pulling out all the stuff. He is doing it. it. Like, I love it. And by the way, no one really understands. Ted, he's not like some scrub producer. This is like a really successful businessman who has like 30 businesses, but he enjoys this, right, Ted? This is fun. I, I love it. Ted loves making things happen. He does. That's what I like about it. He loves seeing shit through, and it, there's, there's, you can't have a more important important person yeah and and everybody should do that and by the way i'm bringing a person who likes to see things through after michael fiorelli comes on we're going to talk wolf of wall street and then yes my old friend the wolf of wall street jordan belfort will be with us so we'll be right back i think you're rubbing this friends thing in my face (laughs) before we start today's conversation we want to thank credit karma for sponsoring hollywood ways do you feel overwhelmed when it comes to handling personal finances breezy uh you ain't the only one i feel it too it's tough you aren't the only one we aren't the only ones we're in this together credit karma is here to help you make those big calls with more confidence whether you're refinancing your credit card debt or paying for an upcoming expense credit karma uses your credit data to show you personal loan offers that are personalized for you the best part about credit karma is that it's completely free and comparing loan offers will not affect your credit score at all finding a loan that fit my needs when i needed to pay off my home renovations was tough but with credit karma they made it incredibly easy and helpful for me along the way Plus, Credit Karma helps you keep track of your financial progress and even lets you know if you can refinance and save money. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com forward slash loan offers to see your personalized offers with your approval odds right now. Creditkarma.com forward slash loan officers to find the loan for you. That's creditkarma.com forward slash loan officers. I'm ready to go, but are you sure about these forward, backward slashes? I don't know when you know it's forward or backwards. I don't know. They all look slanted. Yeah, creditkarma.com. Breezy and Doug's Daily Dish. Hi, welcome back, Hollywood Ways, and we're talking our food meal of the week, which we're still trying to figure out this segment, but Breezy, <laughs> Senior Foxman, is delivering goods, so he brought Chef Michael Fiorelli, who you know is the chef at Olivetta, which is one of the hot places in town, and Isima, which is also, you like how I pronounced where, it? Where, 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 where are these well at? So, these so these restaurants are new to me, so where are they at? They're, uh, we're both on Melrose, where mm-hmm. Olivetta's at 9010 Melrose, and Isima's actually at Lapeer, just around the corner. So West Hollywood. West the Hollywood. westest of Hollywood. This yeah. sounds fancy. Oh, these are is good. Is this Italian you know cuisine? It is Italian. Um, Isima as well? Yeah, Isima is more coastal European. So breezy, just so you know, like right before the pandemic happens, Olivetta opens, and it's the hottest place in town, along with Craig's probably. It's right next door. And they're, they're huge. Everybody's going. All the celebrities are going. And then this happens to you, and that must have been pretty horrible De- devastating and detrimental so, for a lot so do you of you think like your life is over what's going on there <laughs> it was a, it was an emotional roller coaster i mean we came out of the out of the gates and it was just gangbusters and we, we were actually we couldn't believe we just knocked it out of the park you know thanks to all of our support and then all of a sudden one day it was just gone i remember being at the restaurant on a saturday night and there was word you know the restaurants are going to shut down or, or slow down and the place was packed and i was like you know we're going to be the place that makes it i think yeah. melrose was you could see all the way down melrose not a car or a person on the 
street, which was you'd never see that. I actually took some pictures of it. It's eerie, mm-hmm. but still the place was jumping, and I was like, you know what? We're going to be the place that that, that makes it. We have a bunch of reservations tomorrow on Sunday. We're going to be packed on Sunday, and then throughout Saturday night, you saw the Sunday reservations drop from like hundreds to one hundred and fifty, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, we have no reservation, and we were closed on Monday, just like that. And Michael, you're a Long Island guy like me, yeah, and you come out to Hollywood. You're not even trained in culinary arts like no why do you come to hollywood tell me about that <laughs> funny story i was working in restaurants i was cooking i'd cooked all over the you know the country i was living in miami at the time actually um and i knew i wanted to make a change but i was actually a crazy entourage fan oh look at that breezy come oh on. look at what <laughs> yeah i mean M, M. i didn't set that up at all by the way yeah no. you did you knew something <laughs> i was i was i was crazy into entourage and that's how i started to um that was my that's my vision of la what i thought about it, it used to be baywatch Right, <laughs> right. And then I started watching Entourage. I was like, oh, this is L.A. These guys were my age. I was like 28 or 29 at the time. I think they were too in the show anyway. Um, and somebody offered me a job out here. And normally, when you're from New York or Long Island, L.A. has kind of like a stigma. You know, it's like the mm-hmm. other coast and yeah. New York. New York's better and all that. But by this time, I had been watching Entourage for a couple seasons. And I was like, someone offered me a job. I was like, fuck it. I'll take it. I came out here sight unseen. Hopefully, I live life like Entourage. So, and, and, <laughs> and how, Not yet. How does the reality compare to what you saw on the show? You know, um, I mean, I'm not – I don't eat at Earth Cafe and go to Villa every night. <laughs> I can tell you that. At the time, I thought maybe. I was like, you know, I lived in the neighborhood. I lived in West Hollywood right on West Knoll. But I just – I got here. I started working. I started grinding. And 16 years later, I'm still just grinding. You know, there's no – And how do you go – you said you were washing dishes. How do you learn how to cook on your own and get into this? Yeah, I mean, I was – I was washing dishes it's fu- when I was when I was a kid. My first job, my dad was like, "You got to get a job." Um, I was like twelve or thirteen years old, so I worked at a deli up the road. So I got a little experience there. And then the next summer, uh, my dad hooked me up with a friend of his who worked on a meat truck. So we and I would be I was like the delivery boy. We we'd get. We get up on Long Island at like four o'clock in the morning, drive into Manhattan from mm. like it's like an hour and a half from where yeah. I grew up, pick go to the meatpacking district, which then was actually a meatpacking district, go to all the butcher shops, pick up all the meat, and then come back to Long Island and drop off the the meat at the restaurant. So at like thirteen years old I was going in the back door of restaurants and it's not like today. Like restaurants were like pirate ships at the time. Yeah. You go in, like these guys are drinking, smoking, cursing, like but always making me food and yeah. I was amazed. I was like, This is cool, I really want to do this. So my brother was a waiter, he got me a job as a dishwasher and I started washing dishes. That was when I was a freshman in high school. I graduated in 94. So just when I came out of high school, I was a lit major. I wanted to write. I thought I wanted to write. It's terrible. I'd rather cook. Doug yeah, now that, when I, now that I hear you your stories, I'm like, ah, oh, oof. But <laughs> similar. The, the, the stress and the anxiety sound very similar. You yeah. Know? You're putting out something that you're immediately critiqued on. Mm-hmm. No matter how hard you worked on it, people can just shit on it right away. And, and you fun. brought... Dish of the week. One of my favorite things is bolognese. So I am a. Uh, I like to think I'm a connoisseur, and I'm also a big critic of it. And this was excellent, which we ate at 10 a.m. Bolognese. But yeah. tell me about that dish. It's, it's it's become probably one of the more popular dishes in the restaurant. I know Ted's a huge fan of it. When he called me yesterday, he said, "You know, you know, what do you want to cook?" And I started telling him, "Well, oh, I could do this and that, and maybe this salad." And he was like, "Yeah, great. Can you just bring the bolognese?" <laughs> so it was excellent and uh, thank you for bringing it was very good cool just to throw this in it's usually a hard no for me to have anything for dinner it's usually a hard no i have to have breakfast yeah most people you change that for me so it's by the way breezy's gonna be 200 pounds next next week i'll bring spaghetti and meatballs right (laughs) yeah right i love it well michael thank you for coming in i know it was short and sweet michael had to wait around because we had a real long interview that we will have coming up with jordan bell for the wolf of wall street so we'll be back Hollywood this, Hollywood that, yeah, 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 let's hear it. All right, welcome back, Hollywood Way. Chef Michael Fiorelli from Olivetta and Isima just brought us some food, and I'm full, and <laughs> now I need a nap. How about you? Um, 
No. Okay, good. Well, I want to talk, before we bring on Jordan Belfort, I want to talk about Wolf of Wall Street. came out in 2013, was nominated, I think, for five Oscars, but director, movie, Leo, who won a Golden Globe. Martin Scorsese's most successful movie financially. $392 million in just box office. And Breezy, wow. here's a little interesting thing, because it's a movie about thieves, was financed by a thief. Jolo, who is this uh, Indonesian criminal, I guess, who stole all this money from the Indonesian people. We're talking billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had personal contact with him, but I have no, no money. But um, he is on the lam. As far as I know, I think he's still on the lam. He financed this movie, which is by far Scorsese's biggest budget also. so How did that happen? $100 how million. He, dollars. How did he get in the... In the play. He was in charge oh. of the Sovereign Wealth Fund. He was, they gave him billions of dollars, and he was just throwing it around town. And he was obsessed with Hollywood oh, and stars. It. There were a bunch of gifts that had to be returned that he had given, including DiCaprio himself. So Wolf of Wall Street just has a lot of personal connections to me, because I know Jordan Belfort my whole life, A. And B, he brought me the book years before the movie got made, and uh, I was too stupid to understand that it was a comedy, because I told Jordan he's a fucking animal, and people are going to hate his guts and i just didn't see it and martin scorsese is a genius so did you guys get a chance to look at this movie which i know you've seen but wolf of wall street is one of the best movies i've ever seen oh i like that you say i'm putting that in my top and what do you see it as breezy do you see it as a comedy as a drama how how does it hit you i see it as all of those things i think jonah hill was completely hilarious to me so um i think leonardo was hilarious to me as well in times you know what i mean but i I love the pace of that movie it was just going 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 and i like things like that it wasn't slow it's got the goodfellas thing and what we'll talk to jordan a little bit about is that you know goodfellas is really like this movie that sucks you into this world that you go oh i want to be a part of and then at the end of it it's a morality play and you go okay you're gonna die or you're gonna go to jail right but how it always ends (laughs) wolf of wall street doesn't do that you can steal and you can rob and you go to jail you play tennis and you come out and life (laughs) is great so you're a motivational no pickleball in jail yeah well they need pickleball in jail by the way then jail would really i could go to jail commit a crime by the way i would love you know what i'm getting locked up i gotta play this guy they say he's the best he's over at pennsylvania (laughs) federal that would be a great comedy idea yeah getting getting thrown in jail on purpose to beat the best pickleball player that would be funny so where'd you laugh the most at this i laughed the most when uh they were in the elevator going up having sex that everybody could <laughs> right. see them and it's like <laughs> right. what the hell is going on uh, there was so many funny moments in that movie for me when he's driving in the quaaludes which it's so nuts to me this story because uh and i'll talk to jordan but jordan and i one of our best friends who my friend barry gesser passed away he was a quaalude uh, machine and i was five years stop at quaalude what what is a you okay. don't. I don't really hear about them these days. So what is a quaalude? So quaaludes are have been gone for at least twenty years, and I I don't ever want to encourage or ever sell people on drugs. I only did one once in my life. It was the greatest drug that I can imagine <laughs> because what it was is it was like the whole drinking. Movie ran on quaaludes. It was like it drinking. Looked like a good time. It was. It was like drinking a case of beer without feeling full, without getting nauseous, without being unconscious. Now what they do in the movie is they do. Two 
too many of them and they drink as well, which then bad combo. You you don't you wake up and you have no idea what happened. But when you took one, which I did the one time I did, you just loved everybody. So Life was this was like great. ecstasy? I would say it was like ecstasy without those bad effects either, because this was a drug that was a legal drug that was given as a prescription painkiller. Oh, okay. yeah. So Got it, it. so it wasn't like this thing that was made in a lab and you didn't know what you were getting. It was a a, a drug that big pharma. Yeah, that was allegedly not going to kill you, but what happened is people were abusing it like Jordan and ruined it for the rest of us. So we're going to have to talk about that. But the scene where he did that, my entire childhood, I know the story of my friend Barry who got pulled over, you know, and the cop said, do you know how fast you were going? He was like, I don't know, 70, 80. Like, no. He's like, I don't know, 90, 100. He's like, no. He's like, you were doing 10 miles an hour in the left-hand lane on the freeway. So oh, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. So I had always heard this. So when I go to the screening of Wolf of Wall Street with Jordan and Barry, that's how I saw this movie before it came out and they showed that scene of him on the quaaludes driving i honestly don't think i've ever laughed harder in a movie yeah. theater ever and i yeah. wondered at the time whether it was just because i knew the personal stories of these guys or what but i mean it was hilarious right yeah i mean like i said there were so many funny moments in that movie and i think it's all credited to the drugs <laughs> nobody knew yeah. what was going on yeah and what do you think about the idea though of just society you know and i don't like to make any statements but the movie, at the end of the day, is wish fulfillment for bad behavior of young men. And I think most people who saw that movie uh, that I see around, they love it. Like frat guys, and it's just like, I want to be that guy. So I'm not sure it, it gave the message they wanted. But yeah, I don't think it did, but it, there was so much energy you know, for these guys to be so young and to still be professional. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, they were doing a thing. Yeah. That wasn't, they weren't working at Burger King. Yeah. Like on the stock market. Yeah. And I think at the Making time. Making things happen. And I think at the time, because I knew a lot of people who worked with Jordan, at the time there was a moment where they thought they were actually like really being successful, smart guys who yeah. were like, we're learning what the stock market is. And then they crossed that line at some point, which we'll, we'll talk to Jordan. So I'm yeah. excited for That's that. That Steve Madden deal that, that they did. He's, he's still actively involved involved in that do you know jordan now yeah i don't think jordan's involved with steve madden but steve madden's you know he doesn't bigger than that, ever own a piece of that or anything? i don't think he does um possibility yeah but anyway we will come back with the real wolf of wall street jordan belfort before we start today's conversation, we want to thank Credit Karma for sponsoring Hollywood Ways. Do you feel overwhelmed when it comes to handling personal finances, Breezy? Uh, you ain't the only one. I feel I, it too. It's tough. You aren't the only one. We aren't the only ones. We're in this together. Credit Karma is here to help you make those big calls with more confidence. Whether you're refinancing your credit card debt or paying for an upcoming expense, Credit Karma uses your credit data to show you personal loan offers that are personalized for you. The best part about Credit Karma is that it's completely free and comparing loan offers will not affect your credit score at all. Finding a loan that fit my needs when I needed to pay off my home renovations was tough. But with Credit Karma, they made it incredibly easy and helpful for me along the way. Plus, Credit Karma helps you keep track of your financial progress and even lets you know if you can refinance and save money. Ready to apply? Head to creditkarma.com forward slash loan offers to see your personalized offers with your approval odds right now. Creditkarma.com forward slash loan officers to find the loan for you. That's creditkarma.com forward slash loan officers. I'm ready to go, but are you sure about these forward-backward slashes? I don't know when you know it's forward or backwards. I don't know. They all look slender. Yeah, creditcarmen.com. Welcome back, Hollywood Ways. Long-time friend. I was, I saw... Uh, a screening of Wolf of Wall Street with him before it actually was released and he gave me the book years before and I'm just was too dumb to understand how good this movie could be but Jordan Belfort what's happening? Ah, uh, doing great. I'm really ha 
happy, excited to be here with your new co-host, Breezy, because I've been on your podcast, uh, Victory, right? Yep. But this is awesome, by the way. I love what you guys are doing. So I want you know you can ask me anything today because I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm awake. I'm I'm ready to roll here. Had you know? some good pasta. Yeah, I had some amazing pasta. I'm well fed. You fed what, what do you think about that? We we serve bolognese, Chef Michael Fiorelli. We bring in some bolognese at 10 a.m. Is that weird or no? No, I, I was by the best bolognese I've ever had. I like eating pasta. Bre- it's a breakfast, lunch, and dinner thing. And also, I don't think there's any reason it can't be. I hate pasta that's too hot. It was like the right temperature. Temperature, exactly. yeah. Very important. Yeah. But I'm going to take you to the restaurant so we can actually like eat it fresh right out. But Love anyway, it. it was great. So life is good. You're married. Everything's, uh, everything's great with you. I... I'm very fortunate um, because my life right now is sometimes you because they what would you change? I would change probably nothing right now in my life. I really am happy. Got a great wife. Going back and forth, you know, I'm spending most of my time now in Miami, about ninety percent, a little bit in L.A. here and there. So uh, yeah, it's great to be here. So. So Let's what, roll. I want to talk to you about really the second act of your life, which I think is amazing and remarkable and really kind of traces the time that social media comes out. And you get this movie going, which I know how hard you worked. You were on the Entourage set going to Connolly like, is Leo doing my movie or what? <laughs> and you made this thing. You did. You really made this thing happen. And I think what's Incredible when I watched it last night. The first line of the movie is, Hi, I'm Jordan Belfort. And you couldn't ask for a more of a calling card to help you resurrect your life. And I want to know, where are you at in 2013 when this movie comes out? Where is life, both financially, in your head, and everything? It's a great question. So I'm going to tell you a phenomenal story. When I wrote the book, it was 2005 when I started. Finished it in 2006, right? Took about seven edits to get it right. Finally, when the book was fully edited, it was slipped to Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and Mark Wahlberg. Now, at the time, Wahlberg wasn't his biggest star. Clooney was a bit old, so it came down to Leo and Brad, and there was a bidding war between those two. And Each side said, whatever he pays you, I'll pay you 10% more, and up and up and up it went. And finally, Leo's like, I got Scorsese to come on board, and I'm like, well, there you go. Right? That'll deal. work. Done that deal, right? right? And also, I always loved Leo. Like, I, I always knew Leo was the right, the right person, but with Scorsese, it was a no-brainer, so I sold it to Leo and Marty at Warner. Terry Winter is a brilliant, Genius. brilliant writer. He goes out and he pens this the first draft, and it's like unfucking believable. It's like yeah. I'm like I'm holy crap. It's amazing, right? It's basically the movie that you saw. It was that good. Everyone reads the script like, oh my god, it's like almost perfect. It just needs like you know maybe one or two minor passes, but it's unbelievable, right? So. Warners gets the script. They love it. They green light the movie. They rent the sound stages. They're going to sink a yacht in Mexico. And then the writer's strike hits. Oh, wow. And they can't polish the script. Everyone puts their pens down. And Leo and Marty are stuck. And they go wait and do Shutter Island instead. And the window closes. And, you know, the thing with Marty is while he's the most talented, amazing director out there, right? He's slow. And he can't, he lives with a project for years. So I had this like a quagmire where Marty was attached and no one's going to try to take it from Marty because it's Marty, right? But he's also dancing at a thousand weddings. So it was Leo's passion project. Like mm-hmm. Leo was the one that was driving it, wow. right? Mm-hmm. And I was devastated when this happened. Like it got, I was like, I thought, oh my God, like, you know, I thought at that moment in 2000, I'm like, what a, what a comeback. Like, I write this book, it gets made to, what's the chances? Like it's so hard, you know, how hard it is to get a movie made. I so- can't get any. Made, it's very hard. So many things have to line up, right? 
so, and then it gets canceled at the last second, and I'm devastated. Leo swears to me, I promise you, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm gonna get this done, just have yeah. patience, right? So the years go by, the years go by. 2008, the GFC, the global financial crisis hits. It's impossible to make money now. I'm writing another book now, and I can't even sell it. You couldn't sell anything for a dollar back then, because no one had money, right? This and where are your finances at I'm this broke. moment? Right. I have no money. I, because Counting on that movie. Yeah, we got, like, I was, Making, I was a writer, and I don't love to write. You know, I'm proficient at it, but I don't enjoy it. It's very difficult for me to write. Sounds familiar. Yeah, right? And I'm <laughs> I'm trying to work on this book, and no one is buying anything. So I have no money, and I said to my, my then wife, I'm like, you know, I hate writing. I want to, I love speaking. Let me become a speaker. So we made that decision. I'll never forget, I called my book agent. I said, hey, I want to become a speaker. And he says, that's a great idea. You just got to wait till the movie comes out. Then they'll come for you. And, mm. I, and I remember, I was like, fuck you. I was like, <laughs> wait till, the, till they come for me. It's like, it goes against everything I believe about success, life, about you know being the master of your own destiny. I say, fuck that. I'm going to go out there and make it happen without a movie. So I started off giving free speeches at colleges. And... Then I had my first booking for a few thousand dollars. And then I wasn't teaching sales yet because I had this sort of negative anchor like, uh, last time I taught all these sales people, they went and raped and pillaged the village. I, I can't <laughs> do it again. And then finally, I switched, like I, I did this little favor for a friend and taught a sales force how to close and it, people taped it. People saw the footage and people started booking me. Social media. For, right. So they liked you yeah. even, even before this yeah, movie. So, comes so out. what happened was I built this really very, very large business around training salespeople and doing public seminars around the world and I made a lot a lot of money then I started getting into some deals in the mining sector and almost I know I know banking um, four years went by I was pretty much back on top now I made a lot of money again living in a beautiful when Leo first came to my house I was in a tiny apartment you know in marina in a, in a uh, was uh, by marina del rey when right? did you get out of jail again 2005 right before the uh, Halloween day 2005 right, right. I went in July. Uh, Did you keep I, your prison garb on for a costume, or what? Did you yeah, I, I haven't done that. I got to do that one day. I still remember my number five six two one three zero five. Everyone remember this. Everyone remembers their prison number, right? So anyway, so um, so now I, I really did, was doing very well. And uh, I moved into a massive house on the water in Manhattan Beach. So I'm now on the ocean again, a massive mansion, right? And Leo, I don't know what calls me, buddy. It's like 2011 now. It's four and a half years later. Guess what? It's we're done. Marty's on board. We got the money lined up. Ready to go. All right, ready to go. I'm coming over to your house. Let's celebrate. Uh, he goes, are you living at the same place? I said, no, no, I moved. Here's my new address. So he comes over to my house. He walks in. He's like, what the fuck <laughs> happened to your life? You were like broke when I met you. I said, oh, well, I, you know, I built this new business. I'm, you know, I go around the world giving seminars. I'm like, I'll show you. So I put up on the TV um, a, a video of an event where I'm teaching people on stage. And Leo looks at it. It's like mouth drops. He's like, holy shit, Marty is going to go crazy when he sees this footage. He sends the footage to Marty. Marty goes bananas, goes through all my videos, and they rewrite the entire third act of the movie and make it into a comeback story. So I think the interesting lesson there is like the original script was amazing, but yeah. it ended with me going to jail. Yeah. Because that's where my life was at that point. So as bad as the delay was, by taking control of my life and making the best of it I rebuilt my life again so when the movie was finally shot it made it a much better movie More because impactful. now it ended yeah. with me coming back yep. 
uh, sell me this pen at the end. Also, there's commercials in there, like with te- come to my straight line seminars. That was not in. That's the first so draft. interesting to me because the movie, when I look at it, which has a lot of similarities to Goodfellas, but right. the biggest difference is at the end of Goodfellas, he's a loser and his friends are dead or in jail. Right. This movie ends, which I thought was Scorsese. I-, I thought when I walked out, me being like some idiot film critic, I thought Scorsese's genius was that he's making a statement about capitalism. Like this is what the world is. Go get what you can get and really the consequences are you go to jail and play tennis for a couple of years you come back Basic. but that's not what it was so the ending was supposed to be basically goodfellas you're in jail and your life is fucked i think that marty the genius of marty is that he believes in not moralizing uh, to people that watch his movies. He puts characters up on screen and lets you make a decision if you love them or hate them. In mm-hmm. other words, what I hate is when someone spoon feeds me morality. When I'm watching when they obviously the character does something that's so bad because they want you to hate a character. They want right. you to love a character. So Marty didn't do that. He understands, like, because people are complex. Listen, I was a despicable person back then at times and was a wonderful person at times. You know, good people do bad things. Bad right. people can do good things. And I think Marty's genius is that he didn't, like, let's have him kill a small dog in the beginning of Act 3 so everyone just hates this guy. We can then yeah. get the hatred. Everyone could rally around that versus saying that you could love me in one moment be rooting for me saying what are you no stop don't do it and that's what makes the movie so special so and, and again it was simply now is an interesting thing so they came to me at the at the uh the movie was done it was written but we hadn't started shooting We're like we need an ending what's the ending gonna be and leo and i sat down for like a few days going back and forth i had an idea i said hey i was doing all this charity work in africa i go into into it i was doing seminars in africa mm-hmm. so i was going into 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 um different countries zambia i was in south africa the townships i was i created programs sales and entrepreneurship for the kids Right, and I was doing this all. I had this great video footage of me empowering all of these kids. I'm like, how about like I'm now like I'm ref- he goes, dude, that's so terrible. It's like so <laughs> on the nose. Like, come on, you're the wolf of Wall Street. I'm like, all right, fine. So like at the end, the point was, as you said correctly, is like, look, there it goes. He's like, he's the yeah. ultimate salesperson. He's right back on top again, and yeah. here he is teaching other people the same thing. And I, I think also for if you want to look at it from a really empowered point of view, like for a business per- young business person it's like it shows you the power of being able to influence and persuade at the end of the day no matter how great your product is no matter how great your service is Mm -hmm. someone has to sell it to someone else without that skill it can be very difficult to succeed so when you see the movie the first time though which i know my reaction when i saw it with you any part of you worry wow people are gonna i was that was the first i was saw it with you for the first oh really that That was was the first time you saw it because i was when the movie was first released privately i was overseas on a tour I was on tour speaking right I think I was in um, in Italy and um, I couldn't attend the initial like very private four or five people and Alexandra Milshan attended without me because I was away right because you'll see it when you get back and I'm waiting like anxiously for the movie to like put to come out right and and I think her cut was four hours actually the <laughs> right. original cut right we saw a three hour cut and when she gets out she calls me I said so she's like I'm out of fucking breath. She's like, she goes, I could just tell you two things. Your life is never going to be the same again after this movie comes out. And she goes, I need to watch it again because it's so 
all, it's so good. I, yeah. I can't. Might have missed it. I've <laughs> never seen anything like it. And, you know, she's a movie, yeah. movie's movie person, right? She had, and she's, I've never seen anything like it. It's like a little, ma- it's a masterpiece he created. So no part of you, because now you built your business up and, and you're now respected as you've, you've made this comeback. No part of you was like, oh my God, this is going to destroy me. People are going to think I'm just disgusting and whatever. That, that, that movie? And, yeah, when you saw it. No, 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 no. I didn't. No, when I saw the movie, I think the weirdest part, and it still is weird for me, is when, you know, when he says, I'm Jordan Belfort. Like it's, it's like, and the, it's just every time he says my name, like he does like 20 times. It feels the like somebody is trying to, to, to like, make sure well, they don't forget you. And he, like, he kind of looked like me. It's like he acted like me, and like he is really strange, you know? And then yeah. I was watching Jake Hoover the other night, and he kind of looked like Hoover. Like Leo is, like, I think people don't realize just how fucking talented he's, Leo is. I was about to say, he's just good. He's yeah. really good he's, he's good i mean it's amazing to do that was face but you know what what's i've seen the reaction to you when we've been out sure. and this movie again which i'm just trying to get a little bit into scorsese's head this movie is supposed to be on some level of an indictment of this behavior but at the end of the day you become a hero when this movie is over i've been out with you where people come up to you shake your hand want to hug you they ignore some of the the other famous people that we know and, right. and come right to you i know it's and weird could you ever have imagined that would happen not like that so i think what happens is is that i teach a very powerful system of sales and persuasion and i think a, what happens is they watch the movie and i give a lot of weight for free so like they go online they'll see and then they have all these things these lessons i teach about success and and it's, it's really pure stuff there's a lot of hucksters that they try to sell shit online i just, I just never did that i never mm-hmm. ever once sold a business opportunity it was always about learning and so i think the people what they love is that there's actually skill and strategy and that that helps them so some people just love it because it's well, oh my god you're famous i love and other people like like last night i went out for dinner and some kid who was from england sitting next to me and he just says dude i have to just tell you you changed my life like i went through your stuff and like i i'm like the top producer I'm like i made a million dollars last year i would have never made this without you like thank you yeah. so much it's Awesome. So well, there's so many people like teaching that. Teaching real shit. You're real sh- exactly. Yeah. It's real stuff, you know? And that's why I want to go back to, a little bit to the beginning. You're from Queens. You're from a working class neighborhood. And you just obviously were always a good salesman. But you get into this business that I know it personally because I know you. And I had a lot of friends who were at Stratton. What business? I don't know the business. Stock market. Stock, stock, market. stock market. And really at the, at the turn of when this became this thing that everybody could kind of right. be a part of. So a lot of people ask me because they know we're good friends. Do you have guilt? Do you feel bad? you this but i also try to explain the same way society is talking about now about giving people second chances but also you're a kid at 20 years old and all of a sudden you enter this world which i assume uh in the movie when you go to that first brokerage house that was real and, and yeah, how it yeah, happened course, yeah and you go in there and you actually think you're you're doing a business i mean and, and you're selling and you're feeling good and you're getting right. a paycheck so at what point did you go i've crossed the line so there's a couple of times, and I, I think it's a really good point you're bringing up. But if there's one thing about the movie that I think was slightly off, right? Like to me, my descent into insanity happened a bit too quickly, even for the, the screen. Like I understand there's only a few hours, so you have to like show, show things. But like in the movie, I go down to Wall Street in the Matthew McConaughey character, Mike <laughs> Marcana, right? And I'm like this, you know, this nice kid. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like him, <laughs> right? How yeah. close was was? I, and I want to get Very back to incredibly this, close. To this, like Mark Hanna was this amazing guy, <laughs> funny, so charismatic and right. funny. Yeah, he's so charismatic, right? So uh, and Matthew McConaughey just was 
I mean, it's one of the greatest ever. moments ever. ever. It really is. It really one of the greatest is. scenes it, it I've is. ever seen. It is. You know, so, um, and I say, hey, you know, well, I'm so happy. Can't we make our clients money too? And he's like, no. <laughs> and, and I'm like, because I, like, I, I really thought a broker was supposed to make people money, right? <laughs> and then he's like, no, it's not what happens. And he goes on this whole tirade about the Ferris wheel, the circus is open 24 7, 365, and, uh, right? It's really <laughs> amazing. And then the next scene, I'm in a strip club snorting Coke. Right now, in reality, it took two to three years to go from that point where I was just sort of like naive, do good kid to, to like, fuck everyone, don't give a shit, like, I just want to make money, it's Wall Street, we're here just to rape and pillage, right? That descent took many years, and it was a little bit at a time, and what happens is, is you don't lose your ethics or morality instantly, at least not me. In my case, it was slowly, insidiously, you're doing everything right, then you do one thing, and we both know, the person who taught me that stuff was someone, a mutual friend of ours. One of my, one of my Barry, best friends who passed, who passed away, away, right, about taking a bag of cash from someone and in that moment like I knew it was wrong mm. but uh, everyone was like everyone does this this is like not you and it's true it was true it doesn't make it right and I did that and then I'm doing everything right again but once you make that first step your line of morality moves yeah. so next time you take a step is a bit further over the line a bit further and then before you know it through these tiny imperceptible steps you're doing shit you never thought you'd do you know you're hanging out with people you never thought you'd associate with and it all seems perfectly okay it's like when you go into a a, a, a piping hot bathtub. You dip your toe and you're like, fuck, it's so hot. Yeah. And then five minutes later, you're submerged. Your whole body in. Perfect. Yeah. It's slow burn. Yeah, it's not because the water cooled off. You got used to it. Yeah. And that's really what happened. It got to a point where the abnormal seemed normal. Yeah. And one of the things that allowed Stratton to be Stratton was we were located in Long Island off Wall Street. So it was a self-contained society. You worked at Stratton. You hung out with people that worked there. There were the people that provided services. So there's the car dealers, the tailors, the printers. It was almost like a whole all under ecosystem. The same, under, yeah. and, and you're helping all those and people. everyone's making so much money. So, And I think the interesting thing, though, is that there's people that made more money than me. Like you have hedge funds were just getting started then but ultimately like so i was making 50 100 million bucks in a year right nowadays as people make a billion dollars in a year, right but the difference was that even the kids that worked for me they were making a million dollars a year an average broker made a million or more the secretaries were making a quarter million a year. it was like everything everyone was yeah. making it's a gold rush right almost right and it was this incredible camaraderie and team spirit and it started off pure like there was no intention to break the law or to lose people money and the truth is you always want to make people money why would you want to lose someone money because we make the most money I ever made in any deal with Steve Madden shoes Right, yeah. that was our, our IPO, and I own most of the company. So we made more on that one deal than all the others combined because it's a winning deal. You never want to lose a client money, right? But it's really hard to find young entrepreneurs. It's venture capital, so we were doing like public venture capital. So it became very difficult to find good companies. And what I should have done is slowed my growth down. That was my big mistake. Mm-hmm. But by growing so fast, I had such a huge operation. I needed to do deals. It's like a studio that you know. Why do they put out so many shit movies? Because they have to put something out. Right. Yeah. 
right? So, like, yeah. if they only had to do one movie, yeah, they could make one great movie, but they have this huge machine they got to feed, this distribution machine, all the overhead that comes along. So they put movie after movie after movie, and a lot of them suck. I, I want to go back, because what you said was interesting about this kind of society that you, you're created and it's insular. And even when the, mo- the movie comes out in 2013, and there was some criticism about the way people talk, the way people this and that. But what I found interesting watching it last night is the women and the men are all as one. It's kind of a group where everybody's not afraid to voice themselves the way they do. And I think now, which I know you and I have talked about it a lot, but the way the this small group of people is trying to determine how people can interact with each other and where the hierarchies can be. So what, I mean, women could succeed in your world just as much as the men, correct? Listen, I think for me, what's odd about the whole thing is my mother is like, is probably one of the most empowered women in the world. Seriously, my mother was, she's 88 now, but she was a CPA in the 50s in the Mad Men era. You saw Mad Men, yep. right? So in that time frame, the way they treated women, she was a, a CPA and the head of a department at one of the biggest accounting firms in the world, my mother, right? So like, she, and then she went back to law school when she was 64, passed the bar at 68, was the oldest woman in New York State to pass the bar, was pro bono lawyer of the year when she was 73 doing charity work for women. So like, I always had this really, imp- like, I to me, women, I, it never occurred to me that there was that much oppression and things were unfair, yeah. right? And, and, it, and it really was, by the way. She would tell me now like that she, you know, she had to put up with a lot of shit back then, but she was very smart and she was strong. But in Stratton, it didn't matter. The, the thing about Stratton was it didn't matter where you came from, what school you went to, the color of your skin. And I still, to this day, say I'm prejudiced. I, I have some severe prejudices. I am a very prejudiced person. I hate lazy people and stupid people. <laughs> right. Everyone else I love or hate, I don't care. Like, those, to me, I don't, I'm, I'm colorblind like that. I always was. I believe that success and hard work should speak for something. I never judge people. I was never raised that way in my family. That's, that's me. But I know there, it exists in other parts of the world very badly, but I was in a bubble where it did not exist in my house or where I grew up. It was not like that. And at do all. you think? Do you look at what's happening now? Would Wolf of Wall Street? Do you think they try to change that script right now? Eight years later, do you think that would be a problem? Some of the stuff that they say, I don't, and I'll tell you why. I think, I, so I, I, I think that you passed on it. And you looked at it, you know, you, and you always say, fuck, what the fuck Damn it, Doug. I just need everyone to understand. I just need to address that really quickly. Yes, <laughs> I, I could have said I'm going to make it, but that's the biggest budget Scorsese's ever right. had. But here's the thing, Doug, okay? You might have gotten crucified if you did it. And because it's Scorsese and Leo, it it creates some – it has some um, sort of impenetrable cloak around it because right. Scorsese, it's art. It, yeah. it takes on a different level of art, right? And also because the actions occurred in the past. In other words, so it's it's going back to a time. It wasn't present day. That wasn't present day. And, yeah. and Entourage, where it, it does get criticism, which I, it's one of my favorite fucking shows of all time, is a bit too close to the present. Yeah. In other words, what I did was pre-social media, pre-phone. It, no one had a smartphone back then with a camera, mm-hmm. right? It was a different... Time and I and I think people get that. So it was a combination of Leo, Marty, and um, and it was also just something special about the movie. There it was a special. Sometimes it just comes out yeah. great. The editor and I was, feel like you couldn't see the story. You had to hear it just it, because of the time, like you said, people did not have all of what they had now. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a moment. But time. by Entourage, the cell phones were advanced. Exactly. They so were we, a bit advanced. Let me give you an example. Right. Like when I. 
see like hear about sexual harassment like you would think that stratton was the was a centerpiece <laughs> never happened never happened it was that did not occur if someone would harass a girl they'd be beaten up by the guys right yeah it wasn't like that it was yeah. like either all for one or, or one for like in other words if someone was was want to be respected they would totally be respected but it was just mostly no one wanted to be respected everyone was crazy right. Right. we were all young and doing drugs and wild and yeah. crazy and it was fun but it was very much probably the most consensual place of madness that you ever found we had older people we had people who were 65 years old working there we had women that of all different ages no one gave a shit it was, everyone yeah. was making money I, I, that's what I was fun. about to say I also feel like because it was like an even playing field there was no reason to be mad there right. was no if you say that the secretaries were making the money that they were making what the fuck are you, you, you nobody could, had nothing to say we should get my set we should call up my old, my old secretary she get her to call a call phone friend awesome. right now Mona alright who I we could call right now and she would tell you that not only was no one this is a female's perspective not only was no one harassed like that she would say it was like the women when we, I met her like five years ago she came to an event of mine and she's like these women don't know it like they, it was so much fun it was so amazing and I like know every, everyone was so respect everyone Everyone felt respected. They really were respected. And everyone just got paid a lot of money. Everyone came in early, stayed late, and had fun on the weekends together. It was like a family. And then it got dark, okay? And that's the yeah. problem. And the reason it got really dark was, A, the drugs. I was about to say. Yeah. All right? And the drugs, you know, doesn't... I'm sober for many, many years now, right? I'm sober since 1997, right? April 17th. I have friends that do drugs still, right? Whenever I see drugs heavily involved in any situation, whether it's a marriage, you know, friendship, a business, it never fucking ends well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Because it's all fun and games, but at some point it will reverse on you. A lot of the behavior was because of drugs. I'm, I'm not making an excuse. Oh, I was a drug addict. I no, I knew exactly. I was fucking greedy. Okay? Right. I was, was like Joni, Jonah Hill's character. Right? And that, that guy is, by the way, <laughs> hysterical, by yeah. the way. Yeah, the real guy, Danny, right? But... When drugs are involved, it, it typically ends up going in a very bad direction. And that's kind of what, at a certain point, also, I left the firm. And that, or I said, I'm not fucking leaving. Actually, I did leave after that, all right? And I left it in charge of someone, with someone else, and they took it in, a, I think, a much darker direction than I had. Right. Which was the FBI agent, who's a friend of mine now. Yeah. Um, he was on my podcast, and you know, he was saying, because this whole thing, like, that I lost poor people money, which was just false. And we never, you were not a lot, unless you were a millionaire, you could not open up an account at my firm, right? And, and there was this narrative that all poor, you know, poor people lost money. I was like, no way. He goes, let me explain what happened. He goes, when you were there for five years, it's true. No poor, it was every account was a millionaire. It was all vetted. After I left, it became like the Wild West and like they would open up accounts. So I was no longer part of the company, but it did spiral out of control. It's like after like, you know, you have one person like a drug dealer and it's like this order in the court when there's a cartel, eliminate the leader and it's like everyone's shooting each other in the street. Right. Almost like there's madness going so, on. But in the movie, they got Rob Reiner playing your father who, you know, I had Marvin the accountant in Entourage who was based on my father. So we had that similarity. Was, where were your parents in all this? Were they this nice kind of conservative Jewish family? and what did they think was going on and, and how much did, were they involved? So my mom, yeah, my, my mom was very conservative, Jewish. My dad, different. So so um, my dad was the most honest, ethical man I've ever met. Never had a speeding ticket in his life, overpaid on his taxes, right. never so broke the yeah. yeah, You know, uh, both were CPAs. Um, my dad was 
very difficult to work with. So he was not user friendly. Um, (laughs) You know, he had had two personas. We called him Sir Max or Mad Max. You know, (laughs) and depending on what triggered him, he could be either one. He'd go back and forth in the same conversation. Like certain keywords would make him become Sir Max, and Sir Max was like this almost British aristocrat. He had (laughs) twang, and like he never was out of fucking the Bronx his whole life. But somehow (laughs) he adopted like a Ted Knight from Caddyshack. Hello, Judge. (laughs) He had this great British thing, like hello, yeah. And then like so he would set him off. He fucking motherfucking piece of shit. Fucking call my, you know, and the and of all things, like in the movie, it's true. With the phone, when the phone would ring in our house, he'd go fucking crazy. (laughs) And this is something that 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 people nowadays don't understand because no one even has phones anymore, right? But back then, yes, in their their seventies or eighties, they'll tell you like, oh man, some people they don't. Yeah, when the phone rang, he'd go nuts. My father would lose his shit. (laughs) And the worst thing is if the call was for him. Or, you know, like so, like we'd be all sitting there, right? My dad was always in the same spot in the house. He sat on a chair, his chair, in his boxer shorts with his giant stomach hanging over his boxers, like <laughs> South America, right? And like Brazil popping out of his eye. And the phone would ring. My mother, okay, would literally jump off and run like a track star to get to stop the ringing of the phone. Like I'll get, it, I'll get it, Max. Calm down. Like, it's okay. <laughs> right? It's like a f- comedy show, right? All right. And then she'd get the phone, and the worst thing she'd say, Max, it's for you, because my father's always watching like some. Top show, TJ Hooker, or right. the right, right, right. and, and then the second, and the second, he, who the fucking god call the fucking, my father could curse like T.S. Eliot on steroids. It was un, it was beautiful. My father could tie his curses together. It was like art, right? right. Call a piece of shit, call the fucking house on a god Tuesday, and, and he get hello, <laughs> and he get this Brit, yeah, oh, Radio Jimmy, yes, okay, great, great, oh, excellent, oh, perfecto, thank you, bye bye. <laughs> they'd stomp back and become Mad Max again. That was like, and I watched that shit growing up, right? But was he on you all the time? You're going to get in trouble? Or was he like, I can't believe how successful you are? What were his thoughts? What's a bit complex here is that 98% of what I did at Stratton was perfectly legal. You would never know. In other words, like it wasn't like Bernie Madoff where there was no firm there. It was right. like, this was a real, we was completely, I was surrounded by lots of professional people that were experts in the market and they're all watching this happen. And, you know, we're a new issue house. We're aggressive and no doubt an aggressive house. And, and if you knew the business really, really well, you knew that there was some manipulation in the stocks going mm-hmm. on. But that's it's very. It's like almost like compared to what's going on now with crypto, it was nothing, right? My dad didn't know about the stock market. He was a financial guy, so he was the CFO of all things non-stock related. Mm. So he didn't know. All he saw was money pouring in, and his job was to pay all the bills, make sure the pay, you know, everything, imagine the financial operations of the company, but not involved in the brokerage side, which is why he never got, when I got in trouble, he never even got in trouble, my father. He was just had nothing to do with the actual bro. In fact, he right. wasn't even registered. He we had a parent company that he actually ran that was, you know, that ran all the finance it was a holding company right and so he didn't know what he was more concerned about was the drug use right like as that started to spiral out of control but the thing was my dad you know i had this like as you see in the movie it's very accurate i had this ability to speak really well publicly especially when it's about motivation and and, and sales so like my dad would watch as i would speak to like a thousand i gave two meetings a day you know in the morning at nine o'clock and then another one at five after the market closed and my dad's in the back and i'm like he's watching his son speak and he's like so he's almost bought like he's drinking the kool-aid himself like you know and so he didn't know like he didn't know anything was really going on that was illegal in terms of the stocks he just thought that the the drug use but he used to always say you guys are gonna you know he had these crazy expressions like you know you can hit your 
caught in a ringer, whatever the fuck that right, means. Like, right. you, know, you came from a different generation. And when you got arrested, though, what, what was your parents' reaction to it? They could not have been more supportive. Right. They just supported me fully, and um, they were amazing. I mean, they were obviously upset about it, but not in the sense that, oh, well, how could you have done this? They were like, all right, you know, um, are you, how do we help you get through it? And what the movie doesn't show. So tell us, what was jail experience like? In the movie, it looks like you're having a good time playing tennis. What was it really like, and, and did it did it make you go, I never want to go back? I was having a good time playing tennis, but, no, no. but just jail sucks. Okay, I, listen, I wasn't, I wasn't, I was in a camp, this federal, federal prison, a federal camp, camp yeah. right? Exactly. So it's, it's not prison, not a penitentiary. No, it's very, it's a very yeah, no. different. It's not place. like Goodfellas. You're cutting up no, garlic with not. a razor or what? Well, it's like that, but there's not like, it, in other words, it's, it's not like it's, it's nothing like what you saw in Goodfellas because that's a very, you know, there's people being murdered there. These are financial, nonviolent crimes Blue and, coll- and a, or white collar crime, white collar and a short set. You know, so when you have it goes by a point system, and I had very low points because first time offender, no violence, no gun charges, right? So, so they put you in a camp. There's no bars, there's no walls, there's no fence. You could just people walk away. It's almost like a campus. Basically, people will play sports all day. It wasn't bad, but it's jail, and jail sucks. Like you know, you're surrounded by all the losers. When I say losers, I mean people that lost the game of life. Like you know, your your freedom is taken away, your money is gone, and you're basically surrounded by other people who like you know society says are the losers of society and you're and so it's terrible so i think the worst part is what that could do to you psychologically for me you know i got lucky that when i went to this prison camp was taft when i got who's my bunkmate is tommy chong from chichin chong that was your bunkmate i don't even know that was my bunk that's mate. amazing they put us together because we were both high profiles so they right. put us in the same cube we had a little cube together and and that was how I started writing. So Tommy was writing a book, and I would tell him stories at night, and I would just have him rolling on the floor. You know, like <laughs> right. this, and he'd just be rolling on the floor, right? The third night together, he's like, you know, honestly, I, I thought you were full of shit, you know, but I, my wife Googled you, and all of this is true. It's like actually reported stuff. because you have to write a book about this. It'll be amazing. I'm like... Really? I'm like, you think my life was crazy? He goes, I'm Tommy Chong, and I think your life is fucking crazy, right? That's amazing. That was how I Are started. You, were you writing. sober when you went to jail? Yeah, I was sober for uh, six years. Before jail? Oh, yeah. Oh, so you're lucky because that would have I been I got tough. sober in 97 and in April 97. And Tommy wasn't getting some weed into the prison? No, nah, no, nah, he wasn't back then. But to- Tommy was there for selling bongs on the internet. Jesus. Not even pot. Believe that's, it or not. It was the insane. stupidest, the dumbest fucking, I mean, the fact they put him in I didn't in even jail. know that's a law. It's a piece of glass. How it, is that? Because he's selling it across state lines. It was so stupid. And he took the fall for his son because his son owned the company. And it was just really just, it was the whole thing just stupid, right? He didn't belong there. He got a year and a day. And the reason they give you a day is because if you have under you, you can't get good time. So it's actually a year and a day is better than 11 months and 29 days. So we got a year and a day. And, and I was like, fuck, if this guy got a year and a day for what he did, I, I deserve three centuries for what right. I did. But the truth is he didn't deserve any time. So What was your sentence? Mine was, uh, it was for 48 months. Oh, but bad. I got, it got reduced because I went through what's called the drug program. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and with good time. So I ended up doing 22 months. Yeah, I did 22 months. And that, and it was during that time when I, I didn't write the book. I learned how to write. So I was trying to write and failing miserably. And then ultimately, after like a month of, I would show Tommy my pages. I said, what do you think? He goes, they really suck. I'm like, thanks, Tommy. (laughs) Tell me what you really think, you know? And, um, and then I, I just couldn't write. And then, 
I stumbled upon this book in the prison library, Bonfire of the Vanities, and Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf. And as soon as I started reading this book, I'm like, oh my god, I, I just. I want to write like this. And I literally took out a yellow highlighter and I used this book like a textbook. And I studied it like for three months straight. And I just started like analyzing how he introduces characters, how he describes locations, how he mm-hmm. creates conflicts and old language patterns. And I just, I, I used it literally like my Bible and I taught myself to write yeah. by reading this book. Yeah, time. I look back at moments in my life where like that were really pivotal. And another pivotal moment was I almost got a reduction in my sentence by for another year off it was right before christmas uh 2004 it was november and they had some motion they were going to make to reduce my sentence by a year and i was going to be out for christmas time right and my lawyer's like it's a shoe-in the even the u.s attorney signed off on it mm-hmm. all right because i had done a few months before and i it was a whole st- so I was, I was there for t- i had two different sentences one of them was because i was cooperating with the government right supposedly I was a rat but I was not your average rat I, I, I slipped a note to my friend like I wouldn't like I was giving information but when they asked me to rat my friend that I wouldn't do it and I, I alerted my friend I gave him like a note saying don't talk to me I'm wired because I wouldn't oh, yeah. I wouldn't rat my friend out yeah. right like I was okay I was like you want information fine I'll, I'll you know on the whole thing fine I'll tell you about people but not my friend I, I drew a moral line there right yeah. but you can't do that it's like you, if you're going to cooperate, right. that's like a, that's like not allowed, yeah. right? So I was out for dinner with my friend. I slipped him a note saying, "Don't incriminate." Which is yourself. in the movie. It's in the movie, yeah. right? But it wasn't the Jonah Hill character; it was someone else, actually. Right. But anyway, and I slipped him the note, and um, and then six six months later, I felt great about that. Like I'm a I'm a good stand up guy. I'm not mm-hmm. a rat. Like you know, six months later, he got in trouble with something else, and he had he turned me in, and he reported me. Oh shit! And they and they put me in jail. I got put back in jail. It was. Literally at that moment, so I had pled guilty to all this shit, and I was facing they were going to break my agreement. So I was going to get 25 years because of this note. And the FBI agent, Agent Coleman, stood up for me. He's like, no, you can't do that to him. It's, you know, he was his friend. Like, he understood it wasn't like a selfish thing I did. And he stood up for me, and the FBI agent stopped me from getting sentenced to 25 years wow. in prison. He's still a very good friend of mine to this day. He's an amazing guy. So I took account for lying to a federal officer. Oh, yeah. So I had two counts running. So I was going to get a reduction, and everyone thought I was going to get it. And the judge rejected it does not he should get 20 he's got to do his 24 months and i was fucking devastated now i'm in jail i'm now facing another year now at this point i still it was was 24 months not 25 years yeah but but i thought i was going to be out uh, this is i was already in jail when they were making a motion for a further reduction i thought i was going to get it and then when i didn't get it it was like this devastating moment where like i thought i'd be home next week to see my kids yeah and instead i had another year it's a long time when you're in jail a year it feels like a long time right and when the when the when the rejection came through they alert the prison because people sometimes will try to escape or they'll go crazy so i get called in to see the prison counselor she goes, listen, how you feel? You're right. Are you feeling okay? You yourself? Yeah, you do. Yeah, I know you got, yeah, I know you're upset that they did, rejected your motion. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty upset, but what am I going to do? I'll just have to, you know, wait it out. She goes, well, listen, you know, God has got a way of just, you know, of sometimes giving us what we need. And mm-hmm. she goes, is there anything unfinished business you have here? Anything that you haven't really done? 
I'm like, well, I was going to write a book, but I kind of had given up on it. She goes, well, that's it. She goes, you got to write this book. That's what God is telling you right now. Write this book. I'm like, you think? She goes, just write this. Just put your head down and use this year. And I literally put my head down and, and I started writing the book and literally got the first hundred pages done. By hand. By hand. Yeah. Okay. And I, that was when I really taught myself. Like all that before I was teaching myself and hadn't really, I finally cracked the code in that year. And I had 110, 120 pages. I showed them to a few people in the prison. They were like, oh, my God. And then I ripped them up. All right? I ripped them up because I didn't think they were good enough. You know when you're a writer, you always think it's not good enough, yeah. right? Oh, I know. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right? So I ripped them up. All right? And I left jail with nothing. No pages. All right? I came back home and I had no business. Well, I had a business before it was shut down, right? And I said, what should I do? So let me try to write again. And I started writing and I wrote 10 pages and I'm like, Wow, those seem like really, I thought they were really good, you know? And, and I was like, hmm, I sent them to a couple people that were like, oh my God, they're amazing. Keep going. Sent them to an agent, Joel Gottler here, and Joel read these first 10 pages. Like, called me and goes, did you pay Tom Wolf to write those? He thought I, he thought I, Tom Wolf had wrote the page. It was that close to Tom Wolf, right? And, uh, and that's how it really started. So that, that's an amazing, I think, a lesson that, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you have these things that happen and things don't go your way. And, you know, you have to just make a decision. Are you going to live in, in the problem or find the solution? At least make the best of a bad situation. Yeah. Just some, uh, aspirational crazy shit. Give us some nutty stories. What's the, like, the realistic? What's the most money you ever spent in a day on what? What was the craziest purchase you ever made? The craziest thing I did in, it was at my bachelor party where I spent a couple of million dollars in one <laughs> night. It was really two nights. And we flew, you know, 100 Strat nights, an equal number of hookers to, uh, the Mirage. And it was like literally Sodom and Gomorrah on the 12th floor of the Mirage. And it was just insane. And we spent a couple million dollars and had to pay more because we wrecked the place basically. And that was like the, probably the most I ever spent in one moment, like a, a couple of million dollars, right? But the craziest purchase I made, right? Besides the yacht and everything, right? Was Christmas time, 1990, I think it was two or three. Um, we just made a fortune in some deal. And I, you know, and I was wanted to reward Danny, the Jonah Hill character. I bought him a brand new uh, Bentley, or, or, no, Rolls Royce Corniche convertible, right? It's like 300 grand back then, right? And I wanted to buy myself yet another car. So I found some Aston Martin Virage for like a quarter million. And I spent another $150,000 turning it into a James Bond car. <laughs> and I had them install all this shit. Nail drop boxes, oil slick, tear gas canisters, like a strobe light on the license plate. That, you know, like all this crazy countermeasure shit, like drop box for nails. It was so, so fucking awesome, right? And I had that installed. The only problem was it drained the battery. The car never worked. <laughs> I drive two miles, the car would shut off, you know? But sometimes I would, when I was really in my worst moments, like I was high as a kite on loot, so I'd be driving, we dropped the nail box, we dropped the nails on the fucking thing. That's so funny. That was probably my stupidest purchase. And Jordan, before you go, I got to take, so my, my, one of my closest friends who also was, uh, you know, arrested and had some troubles with this stuff and unfortunately has passed away. But, you know, what I, what I found, and Jordan, knowing you a long time, Barry Gesser, who is, you know, really like an uncle to my children, and he was a guy that really helped you when you got out. You got right. out of jail. You had nothing. And, yeah. and he let me $700,000. On like a quick, uh, with a handshake, basically. Handshake, yes. He let me $700,000, and um, and I paid him back a million four, even though he didn't ask for it. I doubled his money, even though he just wanted his money back. Right. Um, he was... Yeah, he was like, you know, he's passed away right now. He was 
What a crazy fucking bastard. What a nice guy. Like, he's such a nice, lovable, but crazy motherfucker. But that's the funny thing, because when I look back at my childhood, Barry, you know, he was the first guy in the neighborhood with a Mercedes, and he was 18. And all the parents were looking at him like, what is this guy what doing? What did he do? Well, Stop. he did what Jordan did, which is he actually He's one of my first mentors. Like, when I got into the business, I knew nothing about the stock market. When I, when I opened up my firm, I was a, a great salesman of stocks, but didn't quite understand how the stocks traded. Yeah. And Barry gave me an initial education. Um, and he was an incredibly brilliant, a brilliant guy. Yeah. Very, very smart. Yeah. The most skeptical guy that you ever met. Like he was always, he was a short seller. I mean, he was always betting that stocks would go down. And um, and also his own worst enemy. Yeah. <laughs> Complex is, is man. Is this stuff in the, in the stock market still happening? Yes, it's happening in the stock market. But in the in the crypto market, you know, there's a new mar- world, right? Yeah, yeah. Cryptocurrency and blockchain, right? And if you look at blockchain, it's like, imagine like when you're laying down the railroad tracks in 1800s. Mm-hmm. That's what blockchain really is right now. It's just, it's, incred- it's the future of finance for sure. And everyone right now is rushing to lay down track. And people don't even know what's going to exist on the other side of the tracks in some mm-hmm. respect. Like when they built the tracks, we didn't really know that all these towns would pop up at all these stores and all these goods and services. So right now, everyone's laying down the track. And right. some of the smartest, hardest working and greatest people are actively involved, making a lot of money at it, but also creating massive value. And then there's all the hucksters and charlatans that are also doing it as a cash grab. And there's a massive amount of that right now because there's no regulation, which mm. baffles me. The SEC and the government needs to regulate this badly because if they do, more money will flow in and it'll be great for this industry and it will legitimize it even more. So, you know, I believe it's the future. I'm heavily involved in it. I'm very yeah. careful with what I do. But, but it's kind of, it's. I mean, it's somewhat similar when you guys start in the stock market, what, 82, 83? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course, stock market's there for 50, 75 years before that, but it's all of a sudden this gold rush where all these people who Correct. are who have good mouths are able to get on the phone and Correct. make money, and I think everybody was learning it and shaking it out. And now I think Breezy asked a good question. What's going on now for getting just crypto, even in the stock market with the hedge funds? Don't you think some of these guys have done far worse than what you do? Yeah, and they, they get caught, they pay yeah. a fine, yeah. and nothing happens. I mean, I think they're probably the worst offender of any company out there is Goldman Sachs. You know, they, mm. they, they put what they do with Goldman is that it's compartmentalized. Like, you know, they have a million different divisions and employees and, you know, there's every great crime somehow their finger is in it. You know, that doesn't mean they're all criminals. They're not. They do a lot of great stuff as well. But the problem is, is that, you know, when you, when you have a system like the current system on Wall Street, it's so heavily stacked against the average investor. It is. And crypto is not like that as much. It's really not. So while there's a lot of fraud in crypto, there's, when you, if you find the right companies, there's so much of a fairer play. In my opinion, it's much fairer level playing field than Wall Street. And that's why people are flocking to it because everyone intuitively knows there's something wrong on Wall Street. Like the big guys are always making all the money. The little guys are getting squeezed out. And crypto on some level is the great equalizer. It, it, yeah. it allows, it's this, it's this decentralized wonderland out there and if you really know what you're doing and you're careful and you get involved with the right people and you know avoid the, the hucksters it's pretty easy honestly if you really do your research you can make a bloody fortune and be part of something 
amazing. It's like the, it's really this. They call it Web three. What that really means is that it's this next evolution of where the it's empowering the individual, the creator, mm-hmm. to really like for you, like, yeah. like like where you don't need an agent anymore or a studio. Look for you could not have done this. You only had one path to to doing what you did. So I'll have to sell it to a studio or and have a, you don't need that now. Nope. You have things like YouTube, right, and and social media. But this is the next evolution of that where it's even more empowering to the creator yeah. so, so I wild. think it's amazing I feel like yeah. everybody's doing it everybody it's a bubble too yep. but some that's okay killed and that's okay but really bubbles rich. are natural but there's nothing wrong with bubbles bubbles happen you have to you know and what happens if you remember like in the bubble of 1999 in the dot com bubble well you know what came out of that Amazon, big winners, many companies, yeah. amazing companies. Yeah. So the good ones survive. The ones that never should have started will perish. Yeah, uh, I think that you know this is something that everyone needs to take a look at um, and start dabbling in. Very small at first, so you want to be careful with it. But I think it's the future for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm Jordan, trusting you. Yeah, we'll we'll get in, Jordan. You're going to make us some money after this, uh, Jordan. We can't thank you enough for coming in. My pleasure. You got a big announcement coming up this week. There's a doc coming. Yeah, there's a docu series coming out. I sold the rights. I can't say to who, um, but the director is just like the top director out there for docu-series and it's going to be amazing super excited about it so uh, hopefully you know your people will hear about this very very soon I love I'm it excited well Jordan thank you for coming in I'm going to take you to Olivetta we're going to have uh, Michael Fiorioli cook it. us a real fresh meal and uh, you're the best man I, I appreciate why it. didn't he f- invite me Breezy of course breezy. you're invited no, you're invited you everywhere you Breezy Foxman also uh, it's my first time meeting you Breezy but you're awesome thank you you're thank great. you Jordan you know you Fuck enhanced Doug. the Doug Ellen no. you know so no, much no. a great combination you didn't invite me <laughs> you're always invited I'm not leaving <laughs> I love it alright we will be back Welcome back, Hollywood Ways. Yes. What did you think of Jordan? Loved him. Yeah, Ted, what do you think? I mean, I love how open he is. I, I feel like I could just talk to that guy for eight hours straight, not get bored, uh, listen to all his stories. I'm not even sure if I would say anything during the conversation. I want to meet his dad. Yeah, and, and you know, the interesting <laughs> thing, though, because a lot of people, including you, Ted, by the way, were like, I mean, this guy stole money and this guy did this. So I said to you, as I've said, I can't say what's in his heart or what's in him. I know he's been a loyal friend to me since I know him, and I know he is doing really well now and doing really straight and honest things. But did he did he turn you a little bit? So, because one of the arguments I've always made is, and I'm just bringing it to Entourage a little bit because that's that's the world that I grew up in. Those guys in Entourage could have easily followed someone like Jordan as opposed to following someone like Vinny Chase. And when you get into that world and you're 21 years old, and all of a sudden everything is coming at you, success that line can move. So did he at least? make you understand where he came from and kind of go he paid his debt to society and let's let him move on or what look in the end from that endeavor he lost everything he was broke right going to prison yep uh so when lost you do something family. wrong and that's what the society is deemed as punishment in my mind you've you're you've paid your debt did he change my mind i i, I think he did because i think you realize that you know it doesn't start with I'm going to become one of the worst human beings around, it starts with a, well, if I just do this small little it's thing, it's not that burn. big of a deal. Yeah. And then before you know it, you don't even recognize yourself. And what do you yeah. think, Breezy? Um, I, I never felt a way anyway. Yeah. I, I totally believe what he said. I mean, good people sometimes do bad things, and bad people can also do good things. You know what I mean? So I just, it is what it is. And also, it, wouldn't it you happens. like to make 50 to 100 million when you're 22 years right. old? Right, but I it, mean, it happens to year. most of us. It happens to most of us. 50 to 100 million? 
No, no, no. <laughs> just just honestly doing things where we, you know, it's it's the first move of the needle. You yep. know, we've all done things like that. Um, the only difference is some of us get caught, some of us don't. Yeah. I think that's the thing to take out of it. And, you know, like I said, I have a lot of friends before they meet Jordan, they go, oh, he's a scumbag. He's this. He's not. He's a guy who made some mistakes when he was young, who was in a position that I think all of us, we don't know how we would have reacted if it happened to us. And I, I thought it was a really interesting conversation. I, I, I thought it would be interesting to know if there was no laws to to deem what he did a crime then what would people say about him yeah greatest mother on earth <laughs> yeah. well, well and yeah. I, but i also do think you know he he laid on a lot about the fact that he's using drugs everybody around him is using drugs and yeah. nothing good happens when you're when doing you're that. doing drugs yep yeah. not, except not, one quaalude excuse. you can have a good time with one quaalude that's it now you're encouraging people they don't no they don't quaaludes. exist you can't get our them. next segment of quaalude confession there's no <laughs> other drug that Start i would recommend drugs. besides a little Ellie. you know what we oh, i just gotta you know uh, you know, um, um, this year I got into edibles. And before we say goodbye, I just got to give a little talk about Breezy and I and Ted <laughs> came down with us. We did Be Real's podcast. so AKA anyone, the Up and Smoke tour. Uh, anyone who can... <laughs> by the way, do you know who Tommy Chong is, who Jordan was talking about? Yeah. Chicha Chong. Okay. Chong. The yeah. fact that he was in jail with Tommy Chong that, is that amazing. Yeah. That's worth going did to jail ever, for. Did you know that before? I probably did. I'm old and I'm forgetting a lot of <laughs> shit. There's no way I didn't. Because the A, edibles, I read the book. The Quaalude ate away at your brain. Quaalude mixer. But I got... <laughs> to talk about this experience we had before we go on Be Real from Cypress Hills podcast. Um, three guys, Breezy and I, Ted was like sort of off to the side, but it was an enclosed room. This was not a COVID-friendly room, A, but B, they smoked 20 joints between them in an hour. Yep. So what what do you think about that? That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And I'm honestly, I would, you know... Of course, we got the heads up, but I, I would never put myself in that situation, like because I don't like it. I, yeah. Weed smoke is one thing I don't like. I don't want to smell it. I think it stinks. It burns my throat, burns my nose, and it's just pointless. By the way, I love those guys and had a good time with them, but I had a migraine headache for like a day and a half after that. Like it, I told you, the day did not go well after <laughs> I, that. I, I think I couldn't stop laughing for about an hour and a half. Yes, I, and I felt like... I think I was thinking to myself, like, am I saying dumb shit? Like, <laughs> am I just laughing for no reason? And you're like, oh, I think Breezy's high. Like, is there any way we didn't? And by the way, so just so you know, Breezy, myself, and Ted did not take one hit of a joint, no. not because we were against it. I was driving, Ted was driving, but I felt like I was high. And they say contact high or secondhand smoke really doesn't get. There's no way we weren't high. Yeah, I I, right. I can't say for sure, but because there if we was shut out the effect, oxygen because the even room. out in the parking lot as we were talking, I couldn't keep a thought for about ten seconds straight. <laughs> yeah. I would lose it right in the middle of. The I sentence. definitely think it had some effect. To I, what degree, I don't know, but it definitely shifted the I needle. I can't tell I you what happened. It. I all, felt violated. All I know is I drove. <laughs> I drove straight to Carney's on Sunset, the train. I got three hamburgers and two large fries <laughs> and a hot dog. Does that mean anything? I don't know what that meant. Is but, that the munchies? But Be Real is a cool-ass dude. They were all cool. Uh, they were all cool. But yeah. Be Real, he's got this vibe. He was kind of like, I, I honestly, I swear to you, I don't know what we talked about, but I couldn't take my eyes off of him, and his voice was like kind of mesmerizing. Yeah, he was like a like, shaman. Were you a yeah. fan? Yeah, I am a fan. Of and Scott, Scott Kahn is one of my you know best friends. Here is something you can't understand. Scott Kahn from Hawaii Five-0 and Entourage fame and a lot of other things. He was on tour with Cypress Hill 15, 20 years ago because he was in a little hip-hop group. How cool is that? Wow. Yeah, So, but I was a fan, and I am a fan. I'm a, more of a fan. What I'm not a fan of, and I will never put myself in that position again. Never, ever, ever. 
Yeah, no, I'm serious. I don't like, and it's not about the smoking pot. I don't want to ingest that much of any. I don't want to ingest that much pizza sauce. Like, I just, I couldn't. It was excessive. Yeah, Yeah. it was excessive. But I did have a good time, and I'm glad we shared that together. So, anyway, we're going to go to Olivetta, where Chef Michael Fiorelli is going to make us a fresh bolognese. Isima, he has a grilled lamb rib. It will literally change your world. The way Ted talks about food. Yeah. Yeah, he, he talks about the way B-Real talks about weed. So yes. anyway, we're going to go eat together. We'll take some pictures of it. We'll send you. Hopefully you had a good time with this. Jordan, thank you again. Belfort, Wolf yes, of Wall sir. Street. The documentary is coming soon. It's going to be amazing. And uh, Hollywood Ways. Good yontif. You are now tuned in to Hollywood Ways. With Doug and Breezy. Oh, hey, Ted. I know that you like the lies, know you like the way it shines There's no other place you'd rather be This is how we do it in Hollywood Hollywood This is how we do it in Hollywood Good morning, good afternoon, and good night And welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes Now let's get this straight, this is not your average podcast. T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink. We play games. We have the song of the week. We have the creative curse word of the week. As long as you're having fun as our guests. Speaking of guests, each week I'm gonna go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, Doctors, probably. Probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on. But that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby!